This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa Traeger. And my name is Kara Clank. You guys know what we do here. We talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on, and we interview an amazing guest from the episode. But first, we chit-chat a little bit. And, uh, you know, I am currently experiencing my second bout of COVID. Yay! But I am honestly relieved that it's happening now before we go back out on the road again, because then I'll be like super immune and I'm not really missing anything super important that I had to cancel this week. Um, that's so that's true. kind of good. That's kind of good. And one of our friends had to cancel his Halloween party. He got COVID. And my other yeah. friend yesterday said it's about to be another wave. And I wonder if it I'm is. Part, I'm, I'm one of the first surfers on the wave, man. And... <laughs> yeah. And I didn't get to go trick-or-treating with my kids. <laughs> but I did get to take them out like the whole weekend to a lot of um, Halloween stuff. I just didn't get to take them trick-or-treating, which Jared sent me some videos and it was cute. They are negative. So hopefully they'll stay negative because they just got vaccinated and I'm hoping that it's like more strong in them or something, but I'm staying away from them. And uh, But speaking of our tour, I will be COVID-free and ready to embrace all of you. Uh, And this episode comes out on the 15th of November, which means tonight we will be in Indianapolis. Don't miss us, Indy. Uh, And tomorrow night, in uh, the 16th in Columbus, the 17th in Cleveland, the 18th in Detroit, the 19th will be in Detroit doing stand-up. Come see us at both. And then the 20th will be in Madison doing our podcast. And then the 20th, First, I believe you can catch Lisa in Madison doing stand up. I think the 22nd, but they refuse to put it on their website. So <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Um, so TBD on that. Because um, you can't buy, t- I don't think you can even buy tickets to that. Like, no. I don't know why they're doing this to me, but it is fine. But also, in terms of Halloween, it seemed like. I bet, I guess people did stuff last year, but it really seemed huge this year. Like everyone's stories, the blocks like that people trick or treated on were packed. Everyone's costumes, and then somewhat Dave Mazzoni posted like the celebrities spent money this year. Yeah, you Heidi know? Klum's party was back in effect after two years off. I think it's just like the COVID. Bo- Ironically for me, it was like a COVID bounce back Halloween, <laughs> and I feel like everybody was really doing it up, and I'm just like. Fun, a Halloween positive. My um, favorite one that I saw, I didn't see in person, sadly. I only saw it online, but a group of people dressed up like paparazzi. And then they were running around the city, like West Village, going, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. And then like asking <laughs> questions. <laughs> and um, who are you some- wearing? Winnie. <laughs> well, and someone said that there was a Patrick and SpongeBob like covering their eyes and like pretending to get away from the paparazzi. And I saw a Jesus Christ one. So that I think that oh was like gosh. so it's cool to see people be so clever. Like I saw a group of people be car uh, car wash. Oh, and they cute. were just like spinning around. Like I just love this holiday. I love seeing everyone's creativity. I was just a pumpkin this year, um, a casual. <laughs> Just a casual night at the cellar. I went to one party with Jared and we just wore our peanut butter and jelly costumes from last year because we just did not get it together. Normally, I love to be 
something that people are talking about. Like last year, Jared and I went as the people from LuLaRoe documentary. The year before, I went as one of the people from the Vow docuseries. So I really do try to like be on the pulse. But this year, I just couldn't get it together. And I felt like all anyone was talking about was Kanye. And I was like, I just, I can't. I can't think of anything. I loved Benny Drama, Benito Skinner, and his group of friends were like the Britney Spears wedding photo. That was so great. He's a genius of our time. And then also him and his boyfriend were Animorphs. Do you know that book series? No, yeah. I, I sort is of Is that do. how you say it, Casey? Animorphs? Yeah. Um, And they were like a lizard man and a horse girl. And they did full shoots and like posed. To, I mean, just, I, I love it. I love it. I'd like to go all out. But like Kara said, this was not the year. And I was happy to be a pumpkin. And you can tell the people that are really into it because they have multiple costumes. Like Shea Coulee did that hilarious Patrick thing one night where she was Patrick Starr from SpongeBob in drag, which was hilarious. And then she was this um, amazing yellow Mighty Morphin Power Ranger on Halloween. So people that have like two amazing costumes well, lined up. Well, and she was the scream mask last night. Yes. <laughs> she did a lot. I saw that too. Like She was so doing many, a lot. Of course, drag queens are going to do it up. And but. I love seeing all the little kids and what they ask for. Um, one of the girls I follow on uh, socials from my salon days, her son asked to be Halloween decorations, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is so cute. I mean, of course, this is so funny because this episode's coming out mid-November. Everyone's going to be like, why are you guys talking about Halloween? But we are in the time machine as usual. Um, by the time you listen to this, my COVID will be long gone. Thank fucking God. Well, I also wanted to say I did see Muna again. And oh one gosh. of our listeners was there. And she said... Uh, that she found out about the concert from me on this podcast. <laughs> um, it was me. She didn't know that they were going to be in LA. And then, she, so I was so glad. And the will turned small. So I feel like I ran into a lot of people. A lot of celebs were there. Kristen Stewart, Haley Kiyoko. I mean, it was a star-studded lesbian affair. And wow. today, Muna posted they'd be, they're going to be opening for Taylor Swift for a few shows. Ooh. And, that's, and so one of the Muna girls, their girlfriend, um, Dresses Heather, not Heather Barlow, Lisa Barlow. Lisa, Lisa Barlow. Lisa Barlow. Um, there were a lot of Rinnas this year too. Did you see that? I, I also saw an Eminem Rinna. Yeah, there were so <laughs> many Rinnas. Also, Taylor Swift, I just read, and I know this is, again, we're in the time machine, this is late, but has 10 of the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. The top 10 are her songs. And it's the first, I think it's like the first time in history a man has not been in the top 10. Yes, yeah. She kicked everybody's ass out. Yeah, Interesting. I mean, I'm happy for Taylor. She's obviously skilled. She, obviously a songwriter, but to me, and I've seen her in concert. I get the album. I do it. I'm in it. <laughs> but she's average. I'm sorry. Like, I'm with Aretha Franklin, where it's like, yeah, her gowns are nice. Like mm, Beautiful gowns. Beautiful <laughs> gowns. I mean, it's just like, I, I, the voice is whatever, the the... The dance is what, you know, it's just kind of whatever, but really, and, and it's all petty. Yeah, but I think that's what so many people like because they're like, I'm whatever too. That's what it is. Because I think it was Sandra Bernhardt on Watch What Happens Live who was just, what did she say about Taylor? Where it's like, she needs to go live a life so she actually has things to write about. Like, how is she writing all of these songs? She doesn't do anything. And that's why- Jared used to have a, a whole joke about that, how Taylor Swift is like that 23-year-old girl who's like not had any experiences complaining to you about like how Starbucks didn't make their coffee the right way. Yeah, that's exactly what she's like, where it's like, leave me alone, the press. And then it's like, 
intricate little clues within all the songs that have to do with Kim Kardashian. You know, like <laughs> it's all about her. Like she wants relief from the strep, but then everything is like a little puzzle of like pettiness with these little arguments. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's your fault. Maybe Taylor needs to come on Enemies. Also, I do want her to listen to this podcast. And now I'm spiraling that I've called her average on this show <laughs> because she loves SVU. She loves true crime. I obviously am obsessed, but it is like, all right, yeah, get all the 10 songs. Cool. <laughs> Maybe it's because everyone thought she was an Aryan princess. I only brought it up because I thought it was cool she kicked all the men off. I, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, but like, why hasn't Gaga done that? Like, I just don't get it. Yeah. I'm just confused why, is it these fans? Because I know someone that like, for their comedy albums, they at all times have their YouTube and albums playing on mute in the background of their computer at all times. So then there's residuals. And oh. you get views. So I know people that do all that stuff and maybe these fans are doing it. I'm just confused how she's overpowered everyone without being more talented than everyone. Right? Yeah, but it's like how we know people in comedy who have just figured out the formula. Do you know what I mean? It can be a formula. She's yeah. figured out the formula. And what is she, it? Well, the, well, first of all, she has mass appeal. Gaga is very, very talented. But I don't know, housewives in Minnesota or what, or like Iowa might not be like, might be a little bit like, oh, she's a little too much for me. But Taylor's like perfectly palatable for everyone. She's Old like people, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Adults, yes. Children, little kids, like, you know, teens. Taylor's got the whole thing covered. Yeah, country pop. Yeah, all of it. It's, it's sort of like how Adele is a huge superstar, hugely famous, but her music appeals to, I mean, a hugely talented, excuse me, is what I meant to say. But like her music just appeals to so many different people. Um, so I think that it's like Drake has hit nine out of the top 10. I was reading in this article. Oh, He's wow. hit nine out of the top 10, but but Justin Bieber kept a song in the top 10 that prevented him from getting this whole full record like what Taylor has. And like, but with Drake, it's like, my mom's not listening to Drake, but my mom would probably would listen to Adele or probably Taylor Swift, you know? It's yeah, just and palatable. I, and we talk about how she's a badass, you know? Like, I do like that she, you know, Scooter Braun tried to fuck her and she was like, not today, bitch. I'm gonna, you're not gonna make a dime off of me. And I do like that. But I always say about her, she's like, when you're a perpetual, it's a, the woman who cried wolf. When everything's an issue, when there really is this big thing with Scooter Braun, everyone's already annoyed with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I've seen her in, I mean, she gets my money. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. But I also And, hated, and we'd love to have her on the pod. Love to have her love. talk her, talk about her cat named Olivia Benson. And what also bothered me is like in her documentary, she, it was it just seems staged to me. It's like, oh, now you're going to say who you vote for? Like, now you're going to fucking be into gay people? Like, she is just so fucked to me because of that. Like, I don't think Trump would have won if Taylor Swift fucking said, fuck him. I really don't. Like, when she said she was voting and stuff, I think it was like tens of thousands of people registered to vote because of her, you know? Yeah. But it was just too late. Like, it's just, you know, she's... She's not ahead of the curve. She's always behind it, I think, where it's like she wasn't political in any way until it was like you're fucked if you're not. Like, you have to say he's bad. But it was too late, bitch. The election already happened, you know? Like, yeah. it's kind of like that. It's like, you could have been pro-gay people. How do you be pro or anti? Like, you could have had gay people's backs over a decade ago, but you waited until it was like, oh, now I'm going to tell Drag Race won nine Emmys. And now you're going to be like, I support gay people. It's just this kind of, 
It's phony yeah. to me. And that's the thing. It's like, there's a little bit of, I guess they're all phony and bad. But then people are like, she did the doctorate at the NYU and everyone's like, you're not a doctor. And it's like, celebrities always do this. Like, why are we mad yeah. that she's doing it? Like, celebrities always do the speeches. So it's weird. There's something in her that really, you're either fully obsessed. Like, I've never seen people obsessed over a person before. Or it's like, but I love to hate or hate to love her. It's not a full-time <laughs> thing for me. You're right in the middle, baby. I just, I don't even know if it's in the middle, but it's just, and I don't know if you saw like this latest video, she fully copied like a young musician's video, like frame for frame. I watched both of them side by side. Wait, which video? The newest one. Antihero? Yeah. Where it's like two of them, like this younger musician posted her video and it is like truly almost frame okay, by Okay, we got to wrap it up so I can go watch this. I love watching side-by-side <laughs> -side copycat shit. Um, Wait, do you right, want to talk well, about the Iowa thing? Like, I don't even know. I mean, we have to wrap it up because we got to get into our episode. We got a good one today. But Lisa did send me, and a lot of you have sent me, actually sent us through our Instagram, which I mostly check, um, this article about this guy in Iowa who died like nine years ago and his daughter is coming forward saying he was a serial killer and she helped him bury all these bodies. Wild. I don't want to be like, why didn't you come over? You know, she was obviously scared. But how long has this guy been dead for? That's what I was she wondering. She said 20 I was... to 50 people he's killed. Yeah. Like, and mostly sex workers. And he, she was obviously extremely scared and she said her and her siblings were all forced to do it. But then it's like, he did die in 2013 and it's 2022. So... I am like wondering where the, you know, where the confession was a few years ago. But I know. Well, we'll see. We'll definitely see. But it yeah, was we'll see. Of course, because this is definitely going to get made into a Netflix show. Yeah, but also when <laughs> yeah, when anything happens now too, I'm like, can this please be an SVO? Why isn't this an SVO? Like now, I I'm at this place. Wait, where did we're... they did they dig up the bodies though? Like, are the bodies there? Not that I know of. I mean, okay. maybe. Because that might be, maybe it'll be Why is that taking news. so long? Why is that taking so long? Come on. This wasn't People. People doesn't Oh my cover. God, did you watch the first episode of White Lotus? Not yet, not yet. Whew. I had so, now I'm going to have plenty of time. So my good. schedule's been cleared from COVID. So maybe I'll go watch it right now. I was like, jam the fucking intro, the, I mean, our girl, Megan Fahey, slays. She's so good. It's so good. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to go yeah. watch it. It's All right, so let's good. get let's get going with today's episode. And don't episode. skip the intro. Watch the fucking credits. I know. No, I, feel I like always you're a do. I love the song, but I love the song. Okay, good. Is it the I, same song? I don't remember last song, but it's really cool. Oh my god, the song from the first one was like haunting. I always yeah. I was to like, it. I was like, and I ordered. Oh, I ordered sushi. I mean, it was like a big event in my house. You were having room. a time. I saw on Instagram. It looked like really fun. <laughs> um, I was having COVID. Okay, alone. Yeah. Sorry to be a bummer, but this is a great episode, guys. Stay fucking tuned and give it up for Kara. You know, pushing through COVID to do this. I love to push through. Here I am. Okay, today is the day for some harm. It is season nine, episode five, and Tamara Tooney is the thumbnail, so you know this is going to be a good episode. It starts out with like a young one. I think I know exactly where she is in Central Park. Like she's, it's sort of, I don't know, I can't even describe what area it is, but she's like walking down these stairs at night. She's looking all around. It looks very spooky. She looks scared. She has a reason to be scared because out of nowhere, a masked man comes flying out, covers her mouth, pins her up against a wall, 
rips her shirt and pulls her underwear off and she screams for help. And then the guy just takes a knife out and stabs her. He takes her purse and runs. And she's just like left lying there. And then there's like really, really upsetting time-lapse footage. This is like what your nightmare is if you get attacked is that you're just going to be there with no help for a long time. And that is what happens. They like time-lapse to the morning and then, like, you see people, like, quickly running by and blah, blah, blah. And then you see, like, the next thing you see is Tamara Tooney, a.k.a. Melinda Warner, bent over the body, kind of assessing the situation. Finn shows up at the scene to meet his partner, Chester Lake. I don't know if we've talked about him enough, Lisa. What, what's your feeling on, on Lake? I'm, I've never loved him. I know some of our listeners are horny for him. Yeah, I wouldn't say love. I don't yeah. love, but I don't hate. He's not a, um, who's the one I hate? The curly hair bitch. The blonde oh, Beck? one. Yeah, like Beck I hate. You know what I yeah. mean? Chester, <laughs> it's just like, I don't think he'll be here for long. You don't really spark joy. And and I don't like that he's like, I never sleep. My my family built the whole city. I know every train stop, every boat, every build. And it's like, take a nap. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't like all these special powers he has, but I don't hate him. And he is passionate about his work, obviously. Yeah, yeah. for some reason, like his deadpan, like delivery, I don't know. It just like doesn't do it for, I I, I had a hard time latching on to him. Um, yeah, and but, even in Signature, when he's like laying on the bed and he's like, what, what would I do? Like, he's yeah. annoying. He's annoying. Yeah. I would hate annoying. to work with him. He yes. would be someone backstage doing breathing exercises, drinking tea with honey. And it's like, I don't want you around me. But and it's like, you know, Finn can handle it because he's been with Munch for so long that he's like, I can handle a little bit of annoyance. Like, so Finn probably like lets it roll. Water off a duck's back, Jinx Monsoon style. But, you know, I feel like. So now we've, we're getting all the exposition. White female, mid-20s. They're running a rape kit. They found her library card and her name is Kate Symes. Uh, Warner then explains the sad part that this woman bled out really slowly and Lake is like, wow, she could have been saved. And it's like, yeah, well, there's kind of a reason why you're not supposed to walk alone in Central Park. I'm not victim blaming. I'm not. But don't walk alone in Central Park if you live in New York. Um, no, that's a good reminder since I am in New York while we're talking about this. Yeah. And who knows what would have happened tonight. <laughs> but now I won't go to the park. <laughs> Yeah. Lake goes to maybe touch her and Warner's like back up and shows that she has this lesion on her arm. And she'll let us know what it is once she figures out what the hell it is. And then we're at the credits. And the lesion looks wild where it's like it would, like it could be heroin, but they would know right away if it was. So it's not. So then it's like, okay, what the fuck is it? And it was like, it was, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not great. Not a great looking lesion. So then at the morgue, Benson and Stabler are with the victim's mother to ID the body. She is obviously very upset saying her daughter knew not to be in the park late at night. She gives her a photo of Kate and Kate has like long blonde hair and looks absolutely nothing like the woman that we just saw get stabbed in the park and lives like, wow, that's a pretty drastic like change. Was like someone on her ass or what's going on? And then she's like Jackie Solomon, one of her students. She was a college counselor at the Heller School, Kate was. So they said Jackie's dad made a scene and all but attacked Kate and they started getting hang-up calls. And Stabler's like... Well, what did she what did she do? Like, what's the situation with this uh with this student? And then we cut to one of the wildest music videos we've seen on Lawner SVU. A music video for the song Come On Mr. Terrorist, which is a bunch of white girls in a rock band called 72 Virgins. And they're singing this like very offensive song about, you know, terrorists, like 
very pussy riot. Yeah. Yeah. It's they're definitely trying to be like high school pussy riot. And um Finn and Lake are watching it in the office of the headmistress at the Heller School when we pull out. And um, she's in a tough position because even though the song is offensive, Jackie, the girl, did lose an aunt on 9-11. So I guess they decided, like, not to punish her when they found out that she was did this music video. But Kate Symes found it so offensive that she wrote letters to all the colleges that Jackie applied to. That's, That's going. Bold. That's taking the extra step to be... Ugh, you know, I really hate Ricky Gervais, uh, but I recently saw a quote of his and it was like, how arrogant to think you're going to go through life without hearing anything that you don't like or that's not offensive to you. Right. It's like, what? so this girl doesn't get to go to college because as a teenager, she decided to make a, I guess racist videos do suck. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what my point is, but to write to colleges is like, aren't you young? I don't know. It's well, like, but then we do go meet the girl and she's a lot. Um, so <laughs> n- now we're at the Solomon household and the dad is like a full cartoon character of a New York person. Like, he's just like, you know how much money I donate to that school? Like, he's really like New Yorkie. And then Jackie is like, what about my free speech? That bitch tried to tank my college application. So like, y- you know, you're getting some entitlement. Um, it's giving entitlement. It's giving <laughs> young prep school girl. Um, the dad is like, shut up, Jackie. You shouldn't have made that video in the first place. So he's definitely like, thinks his daughter's like a dumb bitch, but also is like, you know, this woman shouldn't have meddled in her life and calling all these uh, colleges. And um, the Jackie's like, the Quran says men can abuse women physically and verbally. And Finn's like, yeah, there's also like so much garbage in the Bible. Like, have you read it? And then uh, the dad's like, we had to take classes at the New York Tolerance Center. Like, everything is so funny to me in this scene. Um, and Jackie's Yeah, you even like, spelled it for all of us, yeah. so everyone knows. <laughs> Kara spelled New York, uh, new, and then Y-A-W-K. T-A-H-L-E-R-A-N-C-E. But why aren't they red underlined? You clicked ignore, didn't you? I don't know. I don't know why they're not. I never clicked ignore. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. I think um, Google Docs knows when I'm trying to do an affected accent in my writing. So they allow it. So Jackie like says to the dad, I told you threatening Miss Symes was a bad idea. And so, and the dad's like, half a million bucks to get into the Ivy League. You'd be mad too. And I'm like, wow, this is like Operation Varsity Blues over here. This man is like trying really hard to get his daughter into, it's like, wow, you could just study and do well. Um, it's weird that you went to Varsity Blues and not the scandal with Becky from Full House. That's what it is. It's oh. called Operation Varsity Blues. Oh, I thought of the James Vanderbeek movie and I was no, like, no, it has no. nothing yeah. to do with You're it. You're right. You're right. But that's what they named the operation after with Becky that. from Full House. <laughs> no, like, I know. It's very Felicity Huffman. It's very Aunt Becky. I'm like, like I think fully. they were trash in Texas playing football. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, it is We. I don't really know why they call it that. Why they called the operation that. Because it's like, that isn't what Varsity Blues be called, is about. Operation, I'm on the rowing team. Like, that's the best part. (laughs) Operation, rowing team, Photoshop. Um, So, yeah. So, basically, they're admitting that they hassled Kate Symes a little bit, but Jackie's like, my dad doesn't have the balls to kill anyone. And the dad's like, she's got a point. I don't. (laughs) And uh, like, yeah. 
So he's like, call the tolerance center. I've got an imam, a rabbi, and a priest who can vouch for my whereabouts. But the thing is, it's like she was murdered at midnight. Were you at tolerance class at midnight? But whatever. You know I love to find the holes. So then Finn obviously gets the Warner's Got Something call and they head over to Warner's uh, lab to find out that the lesion is cutaneous leishmaniasis, which is essentially like a parasite and is carried by the female sandfly. So in the whole country of the U.S., there's only like 50 cases a year and they're mostly contracted abroad. The incubation period's like three to four weeks. So she bets that Kate was out of the country sometime in the last month and the highest incidence of this uh, parasite is with people traveling to and from the Middle East. So they start digging into some account, forensic accounting and f- like, you know, checking out her cards and everything. No flights on her card, um, but a big withdrawal from her savings three weeks ago. Munch digs up some footage from the Port Authority that shows Kate at JFK going through the International Terminal. Again, long blonde hair looking nothing like the girl we saw get murdered. And then Stabler, of course, is like, I got a friend at the Joint Terrorism Task Force who can help me out. Like, So we go to him. Because like basically they find her at the terminal, but they're like, where was she going? So the Joint Task Force guys, like she was going JFK to Istanbul and it was hard to spot her in the footage in Diyarbakir, Turkey, because she had cut and dyed her hair. And then this guy magically finds these photos of Kate crossing over the border into Iraq, even though she has full like face covering and head covering. Like, so I don't know how they just found her, but apparently a 20-something white woman with no ties to the Arab community didn't set off any alarm bells, but now they're curious. Like, why the hell was she in Iraq? So- No, that seems more curious. Yeah. That yeah. seems strange. Yeah, it's like if you have family <laughs> or you married, you married an Iraqi, that makes like a lot more sense. Like, who is this woman? So- they go and they talk to the mom again. And she's like, I have no idea why she would be in the Middle East. She told me she was doing a Habitat for Humanity situation in New Orleans. And um, she's like, well, Kate did study Arabic in college. And they're like, oh, maybe she got recruited by the government. And she's like, "How? who has the time between her job and her volunteer work at the refugee center? And it's like, what refugee center, ma'am? Like when they said Middle East, this all should have come to you. But I mean, it comes to her eventually. And now- She did just re- lose her daughter. And a violent crime. Of course, but I'd be wanting to connect some dots if it were me. Not going (laughs) to So now we're at this refugee center and it's where refugees are seeking asylum. Kate was up a translator for them using her Arabic. This woman is in one of the most classic walk and talks ever. I mean, she is just like walking through a room packed with refugees, still talking, picking up papers, handing people things. Um, Benson and Stabler want to see Kate's files. And at first the boss is like, why? So you can harass her clients. And then she's like, okay, wait, I do want to find out what happened to Kate. And she admits that Kate had everything on her computer, which was intriguing, stolen in a break-in two days earlier, even though nothing else was stolen from the center. So something's up here. On Monday, some guy called uh, the center desperate to talk to Kate. So Stabler calls up, you know, whoever, the magic tech people, and says, dump all the phones to this center, all the phone calls to the center. And they obviously have tracked it down into the next scene. We are at an apartment, a woman in a hijab answers, and she's like, we're looking for it's sorry, it's Benson and Stabler. And they're like, we're looking for Harun Abbas. And the woman says, I'm Harun's wife and Harun is dead. Done, done. Like that's, you know, a shock. Um, he died the same night as Kate, allegedly of a heart attack while driving his cab. And his wife is not buying it. She's like, he was murdered 100% by your government. This is Yeah, but the some... government is like, 
bad at their job here because it's like you're only going to steal the one laptop. Like make it take a few extra things. Yeah. Confuse the case. You're going to kill both of them on the same day. What are you doing? I know. Yeah, you're right. It's like making it too easy to piece together. So basically, we're talking to Haroon's widow, and she's like, we, for two years, we risked our lives to help the U.S. government in the first Gulf War. That's how we got asylum here. And then after 9-11, everything changed. They handcuffed Haroon. They took him away. He lost 50 pounds in this camp. They broke his body and crushed his soul, she says. Um, On Monday, she said Haroon was very nervous that he had to go meet someone. And... um. She thought that when she got him back from the camp, they would be able to start over, but then they found him and killed him. And she's obviously very distraught. So now we are with uh, our Queen Melinda Warner looking at Haroon's body. There are no scars or visible wounds, really, except ligature marks around the wrist. And the guy had torn rotator cuffs and advanced congestive heart failure. All of this is consistent with military torture. These are like stress positions like the, that he was in, like with the like your arms pinned back behind you. And um, she has a diagram that she points to very quickly. And she checks his stomach and he had Wishnewski ulcers, which are a sign of hypothermia. So ice baths are also another part of torture. And so she says if he was in an ice bath, the stress may have killed him. And then... They're trying to connect Haroon to Kate and Melinda's like, oh, maybe they were lovers and Stabler's like, or terrorists. Like, you know, Stabler's always going to kind of go a little bit Republican with it. Yeah, do Um, you think Stabler got vaxxed? (laughs) He probably is like, yeah, that's a great fucking question. He seems like the kind of guy that would be like, I'm with, my union needs to stand up for me and my rights. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Liv comes back from a phone call and as always, such a funny plot device in this show that it's always like, what's next? Oh, someone just got a phone call. Here's the next stop. And they found Haroon's cab with a business card in it for Dr. Kelly Alvin at the Mercy Hospital Clinic for Survivors of Torture. Now we're watching a video of uh, Haroon talking to Dr. Alvin and Kate is right next to him as his translator. So we're putting this together. That's how they know each other, translating um, for him. And... Uh, they're talking to Dr. Alvin live and the actor is named Jennifer Van Dyke. And I thought for sure I knew her and she's just been on Law & Order like 10 times across all four franchises. So that's how I've seen her face. Um, And Haroon's story is like terrible. He talks about how they questioned him for 20 hours a day, made him stand naked in front of female soldiers, led him around on a leash, like all these like harrowing uh, torture tactics. Haroon was keeping a journal and Kate wanted him to go public with it. And she was typing it all up on her computer at work, which explains why it got snatched. And they go back to the tape and they watch a piece of it where Haroon says he was grabbing a coffee at a diner on the West side when he saw his torturer. So now they do this thing where they're like, okay, there's 300 diners on the West side, but luckily annoying Lake knows where all the crews hang out by ethnicity. Yeah, this is what I mean. He has this like knowledge where I'm like, I don't buy it, bro. I don't buy yeah. it. You are I not- don't sleep, so I got to know where to get a good poached egg. Like you would be, I w- if I met you on a blind date, I would like leave after the first drink. Also, I'd be like, it's getting late. <laughs> diners are not where you go for poached eggs. Sorry. <laughs> A 24-hour diner is not the poached egg place. Right. It's an over easy, um, but you don't go poached at the <laughs> diner. <laughs> so true. 
So he knows that, like, basically where the, like, I don't know, where all the different guys hang out. And he knows that the Shiites hang out in Morningside Heights. And there's eight or nine diners on the west side of Morningside Heights. So, like, they basically divide it up and they all go to different diners. And then Lake finds the diner. And this guy is, like, perfect. He remembers every single damn thing that happened at this at this breakfast. He's like, yeah, I remember this guy. He was sitting here eating his breakfast. Then he saw this couple. He got white as a sheet. He puked all over my counter. Left me with the mess to clean up. He knew, like, everything. Pulls the receipts. And uh, because he says that the couple he was staring at, the lady was a doctor and came up and offered to help them. But the husband that she was with got all nervous and pulled her away. And then the cabbie took off, Haroon, obviously. So basically, the theory that they're working over right there on the spot is... This guy didn't want his story getting out after he tortures Haroon to keep him quiet. He dies, and then he ends up killing Kate to keep her quiet. So they find a receipt for the breakfast, and the person that paid for it is Dr. Faith Sutton. Two breakfasts, 12 bucks, a great price. Oh, yeah. I thought, I was like, wow. Yeah, you missed 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) diners are not that cheap anymore. Well, so, and not to th- blast them, but, you know, in Williamsburg, Kellogg Diner, fun place. I love the waffle fries and a grilled cheese. Th- they charge $9.99 for five mozzarella sticks. Wow. That's not okay. No. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Not in my New York. <laughs> um, I don't think so. They go to question Dr. Sutton, who play, who is played by Elizabeth McGovern. Very, I mean, to me, she's like an actress from my childhood. She was in, she's of having my baby. Of course she is, because I don't know who the fuck she is. So you don't course, know who she is? Of course okay. she's played a pivotal role in your life. <laughs> yes. No, because I remember um, there was Elizabeth Perkins and Elizabeth McGovern when I was growing up. And Elizabeth Perkins is like the woman from Big and like from um, Weeds. And then this Elizabeth is from, she's having a baby and Handmaid's Tale and Downton Abbey. So I would oh, say like- Oh, Downton Abbey, of yeah. course. So she's Cora Crawley on Downton Abbey, which is like her most- uh, Wait, that's is she British big, big or thing. American? No, she's American in the show too. Oh, okay. And she's American, yeah. So she says um, the man that she was with wasn't her husband. It was her old army buddy named George Tomford, which is Tom Ford as a last name. And I kind of think that's funny. Anyway, a cop in New Jersey takes Benson and Stabler to George Tomford's house- they find the door open. The house has been completely cleared out. And this cop is like, oh, I know the Tomford's great guy. Like, our kids play Little League together. So it's like, he's very shocked that, like, the family's up and moved out in the middle of the night. Like, this is sketchy. It's not like, oh, yeah, they had their house on the market for months. Um, so now, the Army says he was special forces. He had a purple heart, a bronze star. He left the Army in 98, and he has become an employee of Helios Defense Industries, which is a British mercenary outfit. Um, Helios... <sighs> Basically, what happens, is they think, is Helios has sent Tomford after Haroon. Then after he dies, he kills Kate to cover his tracks. Um, and so they go and they speak to Jack Rexton, who is the head of Helios in New York. And he is a very weird British man. Um, like, he has a very, like, that British-y uh, villain accent. And he initially is like... I won't, I, I can't hand over Tomford's file. And then he's like, okay, actually you can have it. So he, they look through his file and he's got 10 letters of reprimand in his file, excessive force and threatening prisoners with rape and murder. Like he does not seem like a good guy. And he's listed as a behavioral science consultant, even though he has zero training as a behavioral scientist. And the connection with Dr. Sutton is that she was a member of Tomford's interrogation team in Mazul. So... 
they go speak to her and she's like, it's not torture. We use stressors tailored to certain vulnerabilities to help us gather information. I would hardly call that torture. She's very chill. For what's going on here, she's acting like this is all a huge misunderstanding. Yeah, so she doesn't really think this is torture. And when they ask her if she recognizes Haroon, she's like, oh yeah, that's the guy that barfed. Like she doesn't recognize him in any other capacity. Well, she's a lying bitch. That's what she is. Yeah. Like if you don't think you did anything wrong, why wouldn't you say like, oh yeah, I interrogated him. You know what I mean? Like, I thought you didn't do anything. I thought you didn't torture. So what's the problem? Right. Why are you lying? You're right. Actually, I didn't really even catch that. She's fully lying here. That's true. Like, unless she's tortured so many guys that she couldn't possibly tell them apart and like remember each one of them. Like, who knows? But that's not a good excuse either. Um, She says her work in Iraq was lawful, humane, and imperative to U.S. intelligence. Okay, So now we see through the window that who's watching her being interrogated is Warner and Huang. And that is not a matchup you see that much. I was excited to see this duo sparring it up. Huang doesn't think that this woman was directly involved in any torture, but Melinda is not buying it. She's like, hello, Hippocratic Oath, like first do no harm. Like what's... What Like, this doctor is completely going against everything that, you know, the medical profession stands for. And Huang is like, well, when I trick people into, you know, confessing or telling me something about themselves, I'm using my psychological interrogation skills. I'm definitely doing some harm, but it's for the greater good. And then Melinda's like, yo, peep the autopsy. It's not good. Like, nothing is, is that's happened to this man is good. So... Now back in Dr. Sutton's interrogation, Olivia is like, so did Tomford learn how to kill with one stab to the heart in the army or did you teach him that kind of anatomy lesson? And then in walks Stephen Weber, the guy from Wings. He's been on three SVUs as attorney Matthew Braden. That's who he is here. And um, he shows up to be her lawyer with Novak right behind and she's like, interviews over. Oh, he looks over. like Gary Cooper, right? But younger? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little bit more handsome. Like, he was on a show Wings for a really long time. Um, was that about the, the Air Force? The airport. It was <laughs> airport? about an airport. I believe it was about an airport in Nantucket. Wow. I think that's what Wings is about. About, like, a tiny airport. He calls them out to try for, like, like all of their tactics. He's like, you're questioning her without counsel. You're blocking her path to the door. You put her in this chair with a short leg that wobbles so she can't get comfortable. It's very, like, who's torturing who, but it's like, no, trying to make somebody uncomfortable is a little bit different than like tying their hands behind their back for like a weekend. So now who's paying for Brayden? Yeah, that's funny. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, you know, just hanging. <laughs> but they really are. <laughs> Horrible. Just torture um, holds. So they want to know who's paying for Brayden because you get the feeling that he's kind of like a high-priced uh, attorney. And Daddy Cragen is like, my money's on Helios. Um, They also bought Tomford and his whole family first-class flights to Bahrain, which coincidentally does not have an extradition treaty with the U.S., so we're not getting him back. And basically, Novak's kind of like, well, there's not much to be done here. And Melinda's like, why not try Dr. Sutton? Her interrogation techniques caused Haroon's death and probably the death of many more people. And um, if he died in New York City, then there's jurisdiction, and any reasonable doc could have foreseen that her tactics would lead to death. And that, therefore, there's a case for criminally negligent homicide. Warner is really invested here. She's, like, very grossed out by, like, this woman's tactics and is wants to see this one through. Because I don't and think that's normally, my favorite. I like yeah. when any, any of the detectives, lawyers, and now here Melinda get invested. When they yeah. really care about a case, I like that. 
She's putting all her money in this to the stock of this case. She is invested. Um, so they go to talk to Dr. Alvin again at the torture clinic. And she explains that after 9-11, doctors started using medical records to target physical and emotional weaknesses. Um, and they called it torture light. And then you go into, she's like, let me just show you some of the people that- It's like Alestra. <laughs> it's like you, go, you get diarrhea. Yeah. Torture light. Yeah. It's like a lustra. Okay. Um, so they go into this. I'm glad like, you laughed. It didn't work at first. You were kind of silent. And I was like, that's humiliating. <laughs> I didn't get what you were saying. And then I got well, it. Because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Um, so we go into this montage of people speaking in their mother tongues with subtitles, explaining how they were tortured, like had they were blasted with AC, pumped with water until they pissed themselves, like starved, humiliated, fed pork when it was against their religion. They have nightmares, pain, lifelong injuries, like, and that's kind of all they need to hear. So Benson and Stabler go and arrest Dr. Sutton. Bail is set at a half a mil. Uh, not a low bail. And although they don't seem to act like there's going to be any problem paying it. And uh, Stephen Weber, a.k.a. Braden, the attorney, uh, delivers a motion to dismiss, saying it's out of jurisdiction since the torture took place in Iraq, not in New York. And then our favorite, Judge Louise Lewis, Lois, <laughs> Lu Louis, Louis, Lois Preston. <laughs> um, she takes Novak's argument into consideration that this is continuous jurisdiction since the tactics were taught in New York and that the victim then died in New York. It's continuous jurisdiction. So Braden tries to sass Novak and he's like, uh, you know, he's kind of like, look at you on your high horse. Like his, it doesn't, it doesn't even work as a joke. He's like, how do you walk down these steps while you're on your high horse? It's like, horses know how to walk on steps. Anyway, or do no, they, they don't. Remember? They can't walk down steps. Remember, I told a story about Retta and how I was doing the, the festival horse. in DC, yes. and they like forced a horse, <laughs> yes. and then the horse wouldn't leave the stage because it was scared of going downstairs. Okay, that was standing. I don't think it made a lot of sense. He's like, "Hey, you walking down those stairs on that high horse?" Or it didn't. It wasn't making a lot of sense. I just don't like what the, his attitude towards our our Casey Novak. Yeah, so he's sassing her and she goes, did you know that support for the U.S. presence in Iraq dropped 50% after Abu Ghraib pictures came out? And Brayden like shows Novak a picture of this little girl. And we we basically find out that Brayden used to be a cop. And he, he explains that this little girl was buried alive in Brooklyn. The perp would not confess for like 48 hours. And then this guy had his partner leave the room and broke the guy's arm in three places. He confessed where the girl was. They found her and now she's alive. And so his argument is like, isn't it cool how torture is cool and works? And Casey's like, you could have been wrong, you know? So, and he's like, but I wasn't, you know? So he basically gets a call at the same moment that he's talking to Casey that Judge Preston is going for the continuous jurisdiction argument. So they're going to trial, baby. And they are in trial next scene, showing portions of Haroon's video detailing his torture. Dr. Warner is on the stand uh, and she's explaining that Haroon died of hypothermically induced cardiac arrhythmia and he had no prior history of heart disease. So then Brayden goes to cross-examine Melinda and is like, can you definitively say that these practices caused this death? And she she can't, you know? It's kind of like what they were saying before in Loophole. Like, I can't definitively say that this poison gave all these people these illnesses, but like, it's pretty likely. You just cannot definitively say it. 
So anyway, that's like the ending of Melinda's testimony. Like she's like, you you can't say that. I can't say that. But she looks pissed because she's very positive that this is what caused it. Dr. Sutton uh, is on the stand now. And she said she's been questioning terror suspects since 9-11. And they show a picture of this terrorist who led an anti-American Shiite militia. And they interrogated him and they found all these munitions. So wow, tor- interrogation works. And then she reveals that Helios later questioned his cousin, this terrorist, and his cousin was Haruna Boss. Everyone in the courtroom gasps, order in the court. Like, this man being cousins with this terrorist makes him an automatic terrorist to everybody in this courtroom. Yeah, Uh, I have a cousin I haven't spoken to in years. Like, what does a cousin mean? Nothing. Yeah, my cousin is a psycho. She blocked me on Facebook and votes for Trump. We're not together on anything, you know? So Dr. Sutton is maintaining that beating, electric shock, waterboarding, none of that was part of it, uh, of what they did for these interrogations. And she said, that's why I'm there. A physician is there to stop things from getting out of hand. And Novak's like, oh, pardon me. Weren't there doctors at Abu Ghraib? And she shows a picture of a man wearing a hood with his hands tied behind his back, like at a 90 degree like angle from his back, you know, like a stress position for sure. And she's like, is this part of what you do? And she's like, yes, it is. She admits that it is. And she admits that they stay in that position sometimes for 24 to 48 hours, but doesn't know about lasting harm because the follow-up is done by camp physicians. And Novak's like, well, let me tell you about the lasting harm. A fifth of the detainees who died in U.S. custody were young men with no history of heart issues. And you had no suspicion that your methods could lead to death. And then Dr. Sutton launches straight into a speech that my only my dad could love. And well, yeah, I was like, about to say, it's like you're trying to be Whoopi or Nardley, but you ain't shit, bitch. You know, yeah. not Elizabeth McGovern, no shade, but we don't care about what you're saying. You're not touching me or my soul and I will not carry this speech along even though you think you're being powerful. Exactly. And she's like, Miss Novak, how would you protect our country? I have a son in Iraq. How would you protect him? You think asking nicely is going to get them to tell us when they're flying the next set of plane into our buildings? And it's like, wow, they're just like so pulling on 9-11 so hard in this episode. And it is an episode from 2009, right? Right? Let me look. No, 2007. So I guess it's five years after 9-11, so, or six years, so they're still, they're still hitting it pretty hard with getting people to feel, you know, sort of pulled in two directions about 9-11. Um, and then she, so she's going on her little rampage. Judge Lois Preston is like, bitch, shut the fuck up. Stop yelling. And then in the middle of all this, a juror has a heart attack. <laughs> it's so wild. This old man's like, Ugh! and then just keels over, Sutton and Warner start working together to help him. They're like doing chest compressions. Warner's doing mouth to fucking mouth. It's wild. So obviously, once the person that's on trial is a hero in the middle of the trial, it cannot go on. It's declared a mistrial. Um, She's on the cover of like, you know, the New York Ledger as like the hero of the situation. Braden is there just like smugging it up to Stabler. He's like in the precinct. He's like, your whole job is about coercion. Are you telling me you've never laid hands? And Stabler, in a rare moment of self-awareness and maturity, goes, yeah, I have. And nine times out of 10, it was counterproductive. I'm not proud of it. That's a shock. You wouldn't know it by looking at his jacket. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't know it. So then... Melinda blows in with a little bit of good news that she reported Dr. Sutton to the medical board and that they're going to review the status of her medical license. 
at the medical board review, she's saying medical ethics didn't apply because there was no doctor-patient relationship. I was a scientific consultant. And they're kind of like, are you saying what happens in Iraq stays in Iraq? Like, it's just not, that's just not, you can't be like, I'm not a doctor here. Like, in this specific moment, I don't have to be a doctor because these aren't my, like, actual patients and I'm just a consultant. Like, you can't drop your responsibility. I hope in my lifetime that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas disappears with like the bomb. Like I just like, I can't, I can't <laughs> you anymore. You mean the phrase the, bo- the bomb? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't hear that anymore. You know? No, yeah. Why well, is... you do from really dorky people. But they're trying to be funny. Yeah, people will be like, oh, I still hear people be like, that's the bomb.com. And I'm like, get, stop, stop But yourself. I just hate the what happens in a lot. Yeah, I really yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. So basically, right after this medical board review, Warner's walking out and Dr. Sutton is right behind her and she's like, are you happy? A temporary suspension can still ruin a career. So this bitch just got temporary suspended. And she's like, I wouldn't say I'm pleased. And the the Dr. Sutton is like, this country is at war and I've got the skills to contribute to that fight. And she's like, you took an oath. You don't get to take a timeout because we're at war. The oath was written for times like these. Mm. Mike, drop. That's a wrap on Dr. Warner. And that is Dick Wolf, baby. Yeah, it really is. Like, that's the whole, that's what integrity is. Like, that's what's hard. It's like, what are you doing when no one's looking or when you don't want to follow the rules? You know, like, that is the point. (laughs) It's easy to be a good person when shit's chill. Yeah. Are you going to share your food when it's wartime? Okay. Totally. Thank you for that. And, you know, I'll take us along on the the real crime um, soon. I mean, when we get back from the break. (laughs) Soon. (laughs) (laughs) Soon. Who knows to say when? So this is obviously my favorite. I love when they say, not the crime, not this, but um, I love when they say the crime in the episode, when they reference it, whatever. Um, This is more of a, not a theory, but it's Abu Ghraib. So it's not just one specific thing. It's kind of like um, a moment in time. I also did not know the difference between Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib. So I am really happy that we get to (laughs) do this episode. I was Again, stunning for that Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes, listen. So I, you know, I have a New York Times subscription now, and and the New Yorker. I'm, you know, I'm damn. Trying to, yeah, I know. I don't. I there's got to be a website where it tells you everything you're subscribing to, right? I need help. It's like I don't need. I don't need all. I, it's too many subscriptions. Okay. <laughs> So what was tough about this was for pages, it was like opinion pieces. It was really hard um, in the beginning of my research to find facts and like what really happened because everyone just had so many opinions and editorials. So it was like dozens of editorials before I was even able to find um, some stuff. There was like a Susan Sontag piece. And I was like, I don't need this. Yeah. Um, Even though she's cool or whatever. And then I went to YouTube to say, maybe I'll, you know, maybe there'll be something on YouTube. And the first thing that was there was an Abu Ghraib, the musical. And then it was Fox News. So I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, where am I going to find stuff? Yeah. So that's like, that. that's what was hard. It was just like the lasting ghosts. And then it was like people that were guilty confessing. And I'm like, what the fuck? So yeah. So the New Yorker is where 
it really happened. And I did feel like Elle Woods. Okay. <laughs> so now we will begin. Abu Ghraib Prison was a U.S. Army detention center for captured Iraqis from 2003 to 2006. Um, it was 20 miles west of Baghdad, and it's one of the world's most notorious prisons. And it was filled with torture, weekly executions, and vile living conditions. Um, and so there's also like no accurate count that's possible um, to say how many people were there. But the New Yorker said 50,000 men and women were jailed there at one time. But then CNN wrote that it's at the height. There was only 3,800 detainees. So maybe it was so, like, maybe that was like the maximum people they had at one time, but 50,000 rotated through there. Listen, this is why we're a duo. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is why we're a duo. So eventually, after all of this, 11 soldiers were convicted of crimes relating to Abu Ghraib, and seven of them were from Maryland. So they were all good buds. They were all from the 372nd Military Police Company. A number of other service people were not charged, but they did get in trouble, whatever that means. Like, I don't know if they just got spanked or something by the military, <laughs> but... Pretty chill. Um, so the regime collapsed um, in Iraq April 2003-ish. And so then there's this huge prison and it was deserted and stripped of everything that could be removed. And then coalition authorities had the floors tiled, the cells cleaned and repaired and added toilets, showers, a new medical center, and just really HGTV'd the shit out of this U.S. military prison. <laughs> you know, they, they took it from gross prison to sexy prison. <laughs> and by the fall, it was filled with several thousand people. And a lot of them were just civilians that were randomly picked up by military sweeps. Um, and these several thousand people were put into three loose categories. So there's common criminals, then there's security detainees. And these are people that are suspected of crimes against the coalition and a small number of suspected, quote unquote, high value leaders of the insurgency against coalition forces. Um, so, you know, who was in charge? How did this all get going? So June 2003, Janice Karpinski, um, she was an army reserve Brigadier. This is what I mean. These words are out of control. Um, she was a general and she was named the commander of the 800th Military Police Bridge and put in charge of military prisons in Iraq. And she was the only female commander in the war zone. Um, but she was like super experienced in tons of other things, but had never run a prison system before. So it's like she had all these credits, but for other shit. So the fact that she was put in charge of this makes no fucking sense. Um, July 2003, Amnesty International criticized the U.S. military of subjecting Iraqi prisoners to cruel, inhumane, and degrading conditions. So this, this chick, uh, Janice, she wanted to be a a soldier since she was five and is like a business consultant in civilian life. So she is a deranged sociopath, okay? So she was an operations and intelligence officer and served in special forces. And now she's in charge of three large jails, eight battalions, and 3,400 army reservists who like her. Um, and they also had no training in handling prisoners. So it was just a who's who of clueless people in this prison. <laughs> and the group that they had brought in arrived to Iraq to do routine traffic and police duties in the spring. And then by October, they were ordered to prison guard duty. So these are people that were just going to do chill stuff. And they're, yeah, it's just no one was really prepped for what this job was. And she was quoted once in the St. Petersburg Times. What is that? Um, but she said, oh, the Iraqi inmates love it here. And the conditions are better than their own lives. And actually, I'm quite concerned they would never want to leave. See, sociopath. This is a this is not yeah, a normal that's woman. Not, yeah. Ugh. I just. Oh yeah, the Iraqis love it here. They're I just, just loving it. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> resort. 
One report indicated that she would sign orders calling for changes to ship, but then never followed up and no one carried out orders. And there were just tons of security issues, escapees, incidents that led to killings and wounding of inmates. It was just kind of a free-for-all. And if she was there, uh, she could have maybe ensured day-to-day procedures were being followed and that could have led to like many less cases of abuse, but she did not do that. And a month after that interview, when she said that wild thing about them loving the jail, she was formally admonished, suspended, and there was a giant investigation into the Army's prison system that was authorized by Lieutenant General Ricardo S. Sanchez, who was a senior commander in Iraq. Another character in this is Major General Joffrey D. Miller. I know it's Jeffrey, but if you're going to spell it like that, I'm going to call you Joffrey. (laughs) And he arrives on my birthday, August 31st, 2003. And until September 9th, he leads a survey team on intelligence interrogation and detention operations in Iraq. So immediately following that, um, military intelligence officers ask for control of tiers 1A and 1B for interrogation of high-value detainees. Now, I don't know what these tiers mean, but this guy comes and gives a presentation and then they ask to control these tiers. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll learn about the tears later. We will. Okay. <laughs> so then there's this 53-page report that's obtained by the New Yorker, and it was not meant for public release. So that's like a huge thing. And that was completed February 2004. Um, and the conclusions of this report were obviously not good, or we would not know about this case and all those photos. So specifically between October and December 2003, there was a bunch of instances of sadistic, blatant, and wanton criminal abuses at Abu Ghraib. And those are all words that I use Normally in my everyday yeah, life. <laughs> because I, okay, so the word is wanton because when you say wanton, it sounds like a, a Chinese soup. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Now I want Chinese food so fucking bad. <laughs> and then all these fucked up things were done by the soldiers of that 372nd military police company that I had mentioned before um, and by members of the American intelligence community. And these people reported to the Kurpinski Brigade headquarters to that woman. Yeah. Um, and there was a new policy issued in October that was directly from this Miller visit. So then Major General Donald J. Ryder, he's an Army Provost Marshal. He assesses detention and corrections operations in Iraq. So all these other battalions take over. There's just a lot of like power exchanging and no one actually knows what's going on. And everyone's just fighting over control over these tiers, tiers 1A and 1B, and everyone wants at it, okay? Because these probably have the guys that are like the most uh, involved and like probably the most likely to have like high-level information and stuff. And that's the thing. So these military guys are really just playing role-playing games like Jared does. You know what I mean? And it's like, why? it would just be more fun if they found Dungeons and Dragons instead of the military. It would have just been better for society. I just hate that these people's like fun and games is true murder and torture. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't understand it, but... So some of the things that were found that was happening with all of this was they were breaking chemical lights and pouring phosphoric liquids on detainees. They were pouring cold water on naked detainees. They were taking away their mattresses, sheets, clothing, beating people with broom handles and chairs, threatening rape, letting a loose police guard stitch up an injured person who was slammed against a wall, sodomizing people with chemical lights and broomsticks. Ugh. 
using military working dogs as psychological torture, like the threat and fear of the dogs was like really fucking people up. Um, also releasing the dogs into rooms of people. Um, so that's super bad, like turning dogs against prisoners of war. Um, and a retired major who's the commandment. Uh, Commandant, right? So this retired, is that what it is? Jesus Christ. Okay. So a retired major who is the commandant. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't read the New Yorker anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can handle these words. I don't know if I have to cancel them. Where the fuck's my tote bag? Okay. Um, a retired major. Basically, he's the commandant of the Army's military police school. And during his 28-year career, he said that this is so fucked up and this would never be tolerated. So this is a guy who's been working in, like, the Army military for 28 years. He's seen some bad stuff. And for him to say like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. That's not really good. Um, And then obviously, you know, one of the famous photos we all probably know is the hooded photos and it's a man on a box. And if he fell off the box, he was told he would be electrocuted. Um, Yeah. Um, Also, Abu Ghraib was filled beyond capacity and the guard force was like super undermanned and really short of resources. There was a large discrepancy between the actual number of prisoners and the number of like officially recorded people. And because of this, there was lack of proper screening. So a bunch of innocent Iraqis were just chilling in there and no one was like organizing people in any good way. So this big report, it was called the Tabuga Report, and it was for the name of the hotshot military guy. And he said that Janice was just never around these prisons that she was supposed to be running at all. And that kind of led to a lot of the chaos. But then he also called her emotional, and now I'm like, go fuck yourself. How dare you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he was just really annoyed with her that she would not admit to the lack of leadership um, and that that led to a lot of these problems. Um, So she was annoying, but, you, you know, don't call her emotional. There was a ton of evidence to support all of these allegations. And obviously, hello, there was photographic evidence. You can't really escape that. A photograph, what, is a thousand words? So um, a lot of other photos got major attention. They were like a a GI taunting naked Iraqi prisoners who were forced into humiliating poses. There's the one of um, a private with a cigarette hanging from her mouth doing a thumbs up while pointing to the naked genitals of a detainee who's forced to masturbate with a sandbag over his head. There's one. um, So there's someone with a bowl cut like holding a leash and then there's a naked detainee on the ground like being leashed and the photos are really disturbing to look at. They do make me really uncomfortable and upset um, because it's just people um, abusing power, authority. It's like the Stanford experiment stuff where it's like when true or Lord of the Flies when like disgusting bad behavior comes out of humans and it's just really I don't know I really had some emotions looking at these photos I feel like I remember yeah I thought I remember looking seeing one where they were forced to do like a pyramid naked or something yeah the pyramid one we will is definitely oh you're gonna get to it okay yeah that one is strange because it's also like the glee and uncare like these soldiers are treating these people like not human beings at all yeah. It's like it 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 makes you feel like they're children. Like when you see a pyramid, you're like, oh, this will be funny. Let's have them do a pyramid. Like, you know what I mean? It's and like, they are. That's the yeah. thing. A bunch of them are what? What 18 to 22 year olds, right? Yeah. Like the military. Yeah. Um, and the person that was holding the leash is an army PFC. 
Lindy R. England, and she was eventually charged with 13 counts of misconduct in the case. But she said that she was told to take pictures by her superior so the photos could be used to frighten and demoralize other prisoners. So, I don't know. I mean, that's the whole thing with military and cop stuff where it's like, I gotta follow orders. So, I don't, you know, it's real. That's why they don't want you going to school. They want you to fucking join in. Uh, there is one photo where two of the soldiers are arm in arm, thumbs up, and behind them is the group of the seven naked Iraqis forced into a pyramid. And that one was definitely very well-known. Um, and they would pose the naked men so it looked like they were sucking each other's dicks. Um, there's also, they found a room that was just splattered with blood. So then there was like a bloodied body wrapped in cellophane and packed in ice. Oh that was God. just like lying around that no one was taking care of post-death in any way. Oh just like God. a fucking dead body in ice. Um, so the vibe seems like that was all routine and this wasn't just a one-night thing for like a soldier's birthday party and they got drunk and put them all in a naked pyramid. You know, this was how they treated prisoners pretty often. And, you know, other stuff went down. Punching, slapping, kicking, jumping on their naked feet. And it says a male MP guard um, was having sex with a female detainee, but that's rape. So it's weird that CNN would write sex. Army police were yeah. raping prisoners. This one guy, yes, CNN. Uh, this one guy, Sergeant Frederick, um, once punched a detainee in the chest so hard that the detainee almost went into cardiac arrest. And then in November, there were some escapees and commotion around town. Two weeks after that, a man named Colonel Thomas M. Pappas, he then became um, like the commander of Abu Ghraib. And he made the military intelligence responsible for the military police units um, conducting detainee operations. And then November 24th, there's a riot and shooting of 12 detainees and there was three deaths. And nine military police were also wounded. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. So also in November, a detainee dies during an interrogation. And then December, there's another shooting. <laughs> like, this is so much stuff. So um, in January 2004, there um, launches in an, a giant army investigation into all the reports of abuse that are happening. And basically, we find out that a Sar Sergeant Joseph Darby, um, he found it a real struggle. It was scary for him. He didn't, you know, he was really conflicted, but he did report the abuse. And he did it anonymously at first, and then it was all figured out. So there was a whistleblower, and then there was like a giant, giant investigation that happened. And he found a CD-ROM of Iraqi prisoners being abused. And I know that's a serious statement, but saying CD-ROM, that's the first time I've said that in 15 years. <laughs> I, I miss a disc, though. I, I, I like feeling like Sandra Bullock in the net, you know? I loved putting a little disc in the laptop and printing it out fast. I like yeah. Yeah, making C burning CDs. I liked that too. I still have all my CDs. Of I don't know where I'm going to play do. them, but I have them. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> now it's just cords everywhere. Mac keeps taking away holes constantly. <laughs> like toggles all the time. It's just like dongles, so fucked up. <laughs> dingles. Dingles. Okay, so right away, Philibom, this guy is suspended as commander. And like mentioned earlier, Karpinski is given a me memorandum of admonishment. And some guy we haven't really talked about, but Captain Donald J. Reese is suspended, and he was the commander of the 372nd little group. 
Um, there was an Article 32 hearing, whatever the fuck that is. Um, no, it's a hearing to get evidence and witnesses to talk, but most of them invoke their Fifth Amendment rights. One of the military defense attorneys was like, hey, they were carrying out orders from their bosses. You really think a group of kids from rural Virginia decided to do this on their own? And I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> what do I you could actually definitely see that. Yeah, hazing's a thing. Like, people do wild stuff as teens. But, you know, we obviously don't believe this, but this is a good legal trick, of course. Like, you would want this to be your lawyer. And the defense attorney for Frederick, Captain Robert Shuck, is like, okay, I mean, the army is attempting to have six soldiers atone for its sins. Like, come on, bro. You think these fucking idiots were masterminds? But the photos just like, you're bad people. You're smiling. You're not. You're smiling yeah. with your thumbs up. Like, there's... I just can't imagine... I don't know any of these people, but I can't imagine this woman that's barely at the jail is like, strip them naked, pile them up, take pics. Like, I just don't see that happening. I could see them, her saying, just get the information, do whatever you have to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so this Frederick guy, and, you know, he seemed to cause a lot of issues inside, uh, but he said that the military intelligence teams, which included CIA officers and linguists and interrogation specialists from private defense contractors, were the dominant force inside Abu Ghraib. So he's passing the buck onto these secret private defense contractors, which I kind of believe too. I'm sure they were involved. I don't understand how that's even legal. I don't understand how you have private defense companies. It is so strange to me. Um, so now this is where we join the SVU world, finally. Okay, the, with the private defense contractors. So Frederick said that military intelligence officers, or they're called MIs, were encouraging them and saying, great job. So then there's a man named Eric Fair. Are we all paying attention? Please do not leave a bad review. I am trying my best. So a man... <laughs> named Eric Fair was an interrogator at Abu Ghraib and he wrote a memoir called Consequence and he said that he, um, what he did as an interrogator at Abu Ghraib was torture. He straight up was like, I was committing torture there. Um, he said there's no such thing as enhanced interrogation or torture light, that it just means torture. He said he practiced techniques that were considered legal by the US government but that it still really weighs on his conscience. Did I say conscience right? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. He said he, um, he used stress positions and sleep deprivation. And stress positions are meant to exhaust someone. So, like, hold these books with your arms out to your sides, and then you achieve, like, muscle failure for these people. And they would handcuff them to cell walls in a position where their hands were placed down between their legs, and then their hands were handcuffed behind, back behind them. So, like, you, can, you can't sit down or rest. So there was a lot of forced standing, no sleep or rest, and that's, like, to shock the system. And this guy, uh, he admits to not only hurting people physically, but that they destroyed people emotionally. So Eric Fair was someone that served in the military and was a police officer and then was employed by a private company under contract to the military. So he kind of has perspectives of all the different units going into play and he confessed to all of this stuff. Another connection to the SVU episode is that a man died in their custody in November 2003 from stressing him out so bad under questioning. And this is, yeah, this is the person they put um, his body in a body bag, packed him in ice for like 24 hours in the shower. But it's like they don't have respect for these people alive. So why would they have respect for these people mm. while they're dead? The next day, uh, medics came and put his body on a stretcher, placed a fake IV in his arm, and took him away. 
This dead man was never entered into the prison's inmate control system. So it could have been an innocent person. So like I mentioned, in January, there was that complaint that happened. Um, and then the report and investigation that happened was the Major General Antonio M. Taguba. And this formal investigation, that was done on March 3rd, 2004. And then March 20th, charges were filed against six soldiers. And we talked about that hearing earlier with Franklin and the crew, but so there were six soldiers there. And General Taguba, even though he was pissed at the people acting out orders, he did have the harshest words to the MI officers and private contractors. He was like, fuck all of you, and you should have all been reprimanded and relieved of duties and go fuck yourself for ordering military policemen who are not trained in interrogation techniques to facilitate interrogations by setting up conditions that were not authorized and not in accordance with army regulations. Bitch. Um, so the story breaks on CBS's 60 Minutes, too, and shows photos of the prisoner abuse at Abu Ghraib prison. And that's like, that was the biggest thing. So after the story broke on CBS, the Pentagon announced some guy, Major General Joffrey Miller, um, will be the new head of the Iraqi prison system. And it's like, just don't have a prison there. It doesn't see, it doesn't matter who's in charge. It seems like you're all fucking failing and pieces of shit. And yeah. he was the commander at Guantanamo's Bay Detention Center, which, like I said earlier, are two different things. Who knew? I think a lot of people. So then it gained international attention and anger and President Bush was like, oh, come on, bro. These are the actions of a few. They don't reflect all of us or the conduct of the military as a whole. And it's like, this excuse is always used and it is it's never true. Apple it's never true. But, you know, it's like high levels of leadership did nothing and they all failed. And then all the like poor lower class people got in trouble. So Defense Secretary... Uh, Rumsfeld, he testified at a congressional hearing um, on prison abuse in May of 2004, and then a seventh soldier was charged. So he said that the Pentagon said that everything was complying with the Geneva Conventions. So that's that. Abu Ghraib was a place where the Geneva Conventions were routinely violated, though, and the day-to-day -day management of the prisoners were relinquished to Army military intelligence units and civilian contract employees, and that interrogating prisoners and getting intelligence was the top priority of that place, and that included intimidation and torture. So I don't know if he's committing perjury or if they're all lying or what happens. It's just, it's too much. So Rumsfeld, after this, he goes and visits the jail and then he goes, oh yeah, these people will be punished and all these soldiers will get punished. So Grainer, Frederick, Davis, they all get in trouble. Specialist Jeremy C. Sivitz is sentenced to one year in prison for his role in abusing Iraqis at the prison. He pled guilty and agreed to testify against six other accused Americans. Um, this guy, Willie J. Rowell, he served for 36 years as a CID agent, said that using force or humiliation is actually counterintuitive. Okay, Stabler. Because these people will tell you what you want to hear, truth or no truth. So if you're beating the shit out of someone, you're not getting righteous information. You know, mm. they're just trying to stop the torture. Um, so it doesn't actually work. So what the fuck? It also is fucked because they had civilians in there forever without charges being brought to them. So they couldn't appeal or do anything because they were in there for nothing. Um, and which is very, very American and obviously our current bail system and what's happening in Rikers and everything is um, very much that. So it's innocent people should not be sitting in jail. Sorry. Is that controversial? No, no. Great. No. Uh, okay. Cosine. Cosine. Okay. <laughs> I'm almost done. Okay. So May 21st, 2004 is when the U.S. releases 454 detainees from Abu Ghraib prison. On the 24th, another 24 prisoners leave. And I wonder if everyone around the office was like, 
oh my God, 24 people on the 24th. (laughs) Or if they didn't pay attention. But I'm sure someone had to mention it in the office, right? Okay. So then more people plead guilty. You know, Frederick pleads guilty to charges of abuse. An army guy guy named Armin J. Cruz Jr. pleads guilty. Just everyone from this 372nd group, they all did stuff and they all all pled guilty. And I can't name every soldier that got in trouble. You can tell that this case has broken me, um, but just know there's a lot of them. So Rumsfeld... Our guy Rumsfeld, he went on Larry King in February 2005. And he says he would have offered to resign, but Bush asked him to stay. Best friends forever. (laughs) Rumsfeld and Bush definitely have a little necklace that's a heart broken in half and they each wear one. Taguba, who like broke the story, is not regarded as a hero in some circles in the Pentagon, but go fuck them. And they don't like um, when their shit goes public, but you did something bad and we deserve to fucking know that. Why won't this story end? So September 1st, 2006, control of Abu Ghraib is handed over to the Iraqis. Um, And then 2008, a bunch of former detainees file a lawsuit against CACI, Premier Technology, the contractor that supplied the army with interrogators. 2009, it reopens after major renovations, which include a new gym and barber shop. Um, And so... That just might be PR for the jail. It's now a Baghdad central prison. And I don't know if... Yeah, but there's a gym. Um, (laughs) And then in 2014, the prison is closed for security reasons. And I'm done. Not another word. Let's go to the interview. (laughs) Thank you for doing all that work, Lisa. It was worth it. And I, I knew a little bit about Abu Ghraib. Now I know a lot. And our guest is worth the wait. So... Stick around. Okay, guys, our guest today has perfected the role of handsome asshole. You might recognize him from TV shows like Wings and Chicago Med, or as Jack Torrance from the TV miniseries um, of Stephen King's The Shining. But you know him today as the smarmy attorney named Matthew Braden. Guys, please check out our, I think, life-changing chat with Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber. So excited Hi. to talk you're, to you. You're a get. You're a true get. Yes. We were very Am pumped I? when you agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We were literally like our thumbs were cramping, scrolling your IMDb. You oh, have yeah. been working and working. You are a worker. I'm at the get portion of my career, which is as you're, <laughs> as the sun is setting, then you get mercy, mercy little gigs. And it's really sweet because if I was at the height, I would not be sitting here with you. And if you, when you're at your height, because you're on the way up, you will not be sitting here with the likes of me. And that's lesson number one, ladies. <laughs> So you're saying back in your wings days, you wouldn't have even given us the time of day. Like this would back not be happening. Back in the wings days, I wouldn't have gone <laughs> online. Wait a second. There was no online. Yeah, there was no yeah. online. <laughs> yeah. And we're assuming though, you did not audition for this. This was an offer only, correct? You talking about this? For you. Yeah. Right here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. SVU. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. In fact, I went back and I and I watched that episode, okay? Yeah. Well, I watched all of yours because, I mean, this one's very fun, but then Ludacris and Method Man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. How about that? And, of course, at the time, I was like, who are these guys? Who are they? Who are they? And then I was like, <laughs> 
You know, no, no idea. <laughs> but this was exciting. So they called you and they're like, we need you to... At that point, yeah, I forget what year it was, but I think it was post wings. So I had a kind of a a, a name that um, that was known um, as you know a minor celebrity, and and so yeah, I mean I was a, a guest star that they offered it to, um, uh, and and I did it. And again, rewatching it, I was kind of surprised at how good I was, <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> because I, I don't like watching myself, and I was like, oh, okay, I kind of. I did all right. And everybody was good. I mean, it was really, well, it was an interesting episode, especially given the, the era and their their attempt to kind of go on a fairly, go deep on a fairly complex issue. Don't you yeah. Think? yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, a lot, like, you know, our podcast investigates like the true crimes that things are based on, but when they tackle like a major political thing, it does feel yeah. like more ambitious, you know? Well, yeah, we yeah. researched the true crimes and I think researching Abu Ghraib really took a lot out of me. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was so much reading. I haven't read yeah. that much in forever. Uh, <laughs> it was, but yeah. you, you're like born and raised New York, right? So were yeah. you like, oh, I'm finally doing Law and Order? Was it kind of like a a box you had to check off, or what? Uh, well, yeah. Look, <laughs> the the thing about being a New York actor is that when there's um, you know, you have Broadway and you have local productions and and you have the great you know and the history, of, especially in, in um of television. And so to work in your hometown is really exciting. And, you know, you feel like you're part of a, a community or the, the, the canon of New York based productions. And yeah, being on uh, law and order was a great box to check off um, <laughs> because there are so many great New York actors uh, that have worked on that show. It's like a, it's a, it's the well from which that show draws its, its talent, you know, it's the pool. And yeah. just to be part of that was great. You shot on the courtroom steps. Um, yeah. How was it like shooting amongst, you know, the people of New York? The people of New York. Uh, <laughs> Did they heckle? <laughs> Were they screaming the animals? at you? <laughs> no, 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 they weren't. No, I, I think, I think uh, it's as enjoyable to watch, um, for the most part, to watch productions being filmed on the streets of New York as it is to film them. Um, and in a way... Uh, I feel like the New Yorkers are allowing you to do it. And so uh, even in the moment, they're, they're, they could heckle you. They could disrupt. They could kill you. Uh, <laughs> but they, they, choose, they choose not to do any of those things. And they kind of, you know, enjoy it. And um, it's part of what makes New York really fun. And it's, it's part of what makes uh, being a New Yorker kind of cool, that, that it's, a, it's a place where people come to, to shoot, you know, famous and iconic stuff. Yeah, those yeah. those court those court uh, steps or courthouse steps are are iconic. You know, it's yeah. like the it's the equivalent of um, uh, the 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 zebra crossing in Abbey Road. You know, with the Beatles walking. Mm -hmm. out. You know, how many people? How many people have recreated various Law and Order descents and ascents up those steps? Yeah. I recently took a picture in Central Park where a lot of dead bodies are found, and I did lay down on the ground, and then I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> yeah, laid. So. I don't. I think we're done here today. So <laughs> really great talking to you. <laughs> That's dark. Can I ask because I looked up your Wikipedia, and I know Wikipedia is not always accurate, but it says that your mom was a performer and your dad was a manager of comedians. Yeah. So were you like, I, I'm just like, this is my only choice. I'm destined for this life or like what, you know. 
Because you went to the high school of performing arts, so you must have known at a young age this is like what you were going to do. I, I, I guess I must have um, uncon- <laughs> unconsciously, but it was never anything that was declared out loud. Um, you know, another tortured metaphor analogy is that you know I was on this stream and I just was carried along by these currents, and I just found myself yeah. um, doing this, uh, gravitating towards it. Uh, it wasn't a show business house, despite those kind of bona fides. But yeah, my mom was a uh, a nightclub singer in the 50s when it was really super cool. And, so cool. Uh, and my dad was uh, an agent and manager, and uh, it was less cool in some ways. It was like a lower-tier rat pack type of thing. <laughs> Not as low as Broadway Danny Rose, but not as not as elevated as as the Rat Pack, somewhere <laughs> somewhere in between. And it was very instructive and um, not unattractive. I mean, it was really kind of compelling. And so, yeah, I guess I found myself in this area, but it wasn't you know foretold or preordained or any of those things. Mm-hmm. I just kind of found myself doing it. Do you ever run into people you went to high school with on jobs? <laughs> uh, well, once in a while, you know, the, the thing about going to acting school is that there's a huge attrition rate. Even people who are incredibly talented, right. after a while, get buffeted and, and beaten up by the business, or they just think, you know what, I don't want to hear no a, a billion times in a year. I really can't. I'm going to find something that it makes me happier, really. Um, but to answer your question, I do um, and have over the years cross paths with with people who I went to high school with. Um, uh, uh, um, you know, who did I go to school with? I'm, uh, well, like Wesley Snipes actually went to performing arts and wow. Ving Rhames went to performing arts when he was what? just a skinny guy. Yeah, he's not, wasn't <laughs> the, the behemoth he is now. And so once in a while, I, I see those guys. Um, and it was really in college, I went to a place called SUNY Purchase, SUNY being yeah. State University of New York. And like Stanley Tucci went there and uh, Edie Falco and... Um, Bunch of other great actors and directors. So once in a while, you know, once in a while we uh, we cross paths. It's pretty interesting. That's great. Well, let's like let's get into this episode. I'm glad you just recently rewatched it. Like, tell sure. us a little bit more. Like, this was a cool character. You were this like kind of you know handsome jerk that comes in like he knows everything, right? And then you do three episodes and then I'm assuming your schedule just got too busy because you seem like someone they would have called back for like more episodes. And now you're back in the Dick Wolf universe on Chicago Med. So, you know. I'm from Skokie. I don't know if you ventured up north uh, yet. Not yet. Not yet. I haven't. Uh, Good pita in if you want some falafel. All right. I'm I'm there. (laughs) I'll I'll go. I'll go tonight. (laughs) Uh, well, yeah, I, I did. I was on that uh, show three times. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it was an interesting character and a character that I've, I've played a lot, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the, the, the jerk, the, uh, you know, authoritarian douchebag. And I, I played him a lot. Um, but as I say, when revisiting that particular episode, I was taken with, kind of how slick and uh, well-written the character was and also that I did a decent job. <laughs> and um, uh, as did everybody, you know, I, it, it's, such a, it's such a good kind of economic show. I mean, they know exactly what to do, how to do it. They hit all the right notes. Um, and it's so such a compelling formula. Uh, I, I think 
I think they brought me back as many times as a character, as a guest character gets brought back. I mean, I'm sure there are, <laughs> there are exceptions to that rule, but three's, three's pretty good. I feel like you could come back anytime. Well, maybe it'd be great, be hilarious if I came back as that character, even though I'm in the wolf universe now. What if I played that guy, you know, and yeah, still played the guy on, on Chicago Med? Why not? On Chicago Med, are you a doctor? What are What is your yeah. part on Chicago Med? Yeah. Chicago Med, yeah, I'm a... I'm a um, an ex-naval surgeon who's now uh, at this hospital, Gaffney Hospital, and he's a mess, this guy. I mean, he's a total mess. <laughs> well, they've done Chicago PD crossovers, and I don't put it past them to have, like, one of their detectives, I don't know, get hurt in Chicago and have a, a crossover <laughs> with med. That would be, would be fun. <laughs> this might be too detailed of a question since you filmed a while ago. Are they, like, the, the suits look very expensive. Do you know if they are expensive? <laughs> Uh, um, I well, look. I think the clothing budget for certain characters is um, pretty good. Uh, uh, I, they, this isn't a series that scrimps. Uh, yeah, they 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 pay um, everything they need. They pay top dollar for their clothing. <laughs> um, they don't they don't go on the cheap. Um, I really can't remember. Yeah, I mean, gosh, how long? <laughs> long time. It's so ago. funny. A lot of times we talk to female actors, they're like, "Oh yes, it was this brand. It was this brand." Like they remember their clothes better. But it's well, fine again, that you as don't. a younger guy, I really <laughs> didn't care about that stuff, sure. and I should have because right now. The fact is, I'm on this show. Uh, all I wear are scrubs all yeah. day, and now <laughs> I'd love to wear some fancy, cool suit. <laughs> <laughs> that I would try to buy at a at a discount or even steal. I stole a suit once. <laughs> Ooh, oh, yeah. What are the rules? That. Yeah, I, well, on America's Next Top Model, I learned you have to ask, and then maybe if you could buy it, and then right. off a set. But I yeah. have stolen shoes before. <laughs> uh, if if I guess I really did like something, they they would probably try to get a discount for me. But I don't. While while that's my ulterior motive, I don't come right out and say, hey, can I pay less for this suit? I say, I really like this suit. Is there a way for me to purchase it? And if they're, if they like me and I'm incredibly likable, they'll say, you know, we'll make a little deal. Uh, but once I actually did a miniseries a long time ago where I played John F. Kennedy and I stole a suit. And the, the joke was on me because the suit I stole, which I thought looked so great, was cut to be like a suit from 1946. So while it had broad shoulders and really big lapels and it looked great in the context of this miniseries, I couldn't wear it on the street because I looked yeah. like, I'd look like <laughs> something from Guys and Dolls, you know? <laughs> well, how was... So in this episode, you you represent Elizabeth McGovern's character right. and she's a, a, an actress I've been watching my entire life I, to, as yeah. well. How was working with her? She was great. I mean, uh, <laughs> she... <laughs> Terrible, no. uh, mean to everybody. Well, yeah. uh, she would kick, kick the craft service people. Um, <laughs> she was fantastic, and and the thing is that obviously she hadn't done Downton Abbey uh, at this point. Yeah, and so she was, I think, in a period where she was, in a way, coasting between gigs, which is what happens to actors of all stripes. You know, she'd done Ragtime, and she'd had you know really cool success, and was very well known. And you take a little path toward that takes you to Law and Order, that takes you to other TV shows, and you're you're, you know what I mean? You're you know you're not yeah. on that kind of superstar trajectory, and then you you kind of level off, and then you you meander, and then it was interestingly enough, you know, I don't know twenty plus years later that she got on Downton Abbey and yeah. really kind of 
hit this amazing note with that great show playing that uh, beautiful character. So, yeah. you know, she's a wonderful, really interesting actor, really interesting portrayal, right? You know, you don't, you kind of don't see it coming. And then she defends herself in a way that you didn't, that I didn't see coming either. You know, it's really, yeah. really fascinating. I also felt like you had a lot of chemistry with Diane Neal, who plays Casey Novak, the lawyer. That's I why like I thought they might keep you around. You guys had a, it seemed like you had <laughs> vibes. Well, that's interesting you say that because we uh, stayed friendly years after that show. And I remember um, even during the shoot, we discovered that we had the same sense of humor and she's really twisted and funny. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, would probably lie down in Central Park where people were killed, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> she's been on and, our podcast and oh, we really she? got okay. along oh, with yeah. her. Well, yeah. there you go. So then you know what I'm talking about. So we we hit it off like crazy. Yeah. But who knows? You know, there's like I say, there are a lot of moving parts. And uh, and I realized at the end of the day that uh, actors are most actors are kind of disposable, you know, we're, we're just part of the, the machine. And um, I've learned after decades now that if a good job comes along, like the one I'm currently on, hop on, you know, it's like the carnival cruise. You hop on, you don your uniform, you do your thing and then say thank you, be grateful and then get the hell out, <laughs> you know, try not to be a jerk. Yeah. Well, what, um, like, you've worked on so many sets. How is it, like, joining a show and then piecing out? Like, is there <laughs> a rhythm to it? You know what I mean? Because you've been a regular on so many where you're there for right. many, like, seasons, and then you are do some where you're just in and out, so. Right. Uh, now I sort of have it down, and um, it's, it's never not exciting. It's never not uh, a little uh, anxiety-producing. Um but I literally just the other day, I was working with a young actor who'd done some theater but had not done any TV. And he, I saw it. I saw him kind of be lost for a second and not, not freaking out lost, but he didn't know why, for instance, people were putting down tape at your feet. And he didn't know what the protocol was in terms of rehearsing and then leaving the set and having people light it and focus and everything. And I was there to do for him, at least I hope, what I'd wished somebody had done for me, uh, which was say, basically, literally and figuratively put my hand on his shoulder and say, ah, okay, so are you okay? He said, well, no, not really. And then we had a kind of discussion. So <laughs> it's always it's always a little daunting to come onto a new set. And um, and it's exciting. But like I say now, um, I'm, I'm fairly relaxed. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I I usually know somebody on the set. If they're not in the cast, they're in the crew, somebody I've worked with. Uh, and uh, and that's always, always good. But look, nobody's forced to work in this industry. It's always exciting. It's always a privilege to do it. Um, uh, even if you have a small part or even if you have a, have a hard job on the crew, you know, like shoveling crap. <laughs> it's still kind of cool and exciting. And yeah. you never know, like in five years, I'll be begging one of these people for a job. You know, like <laughs> so it pays to be nice. I don't know, man. You're, you're, there doesn't look like there's that many gaps on your IMDb. Like you have a, you've done a lot. And I want, I do need to point out one of your favorite <laughs> roles um, of mine is that 
my daughter loves the show Puppy Dog Pals, and I was there really excited to see that you have voiced many, many characters on yeah, Puppy Dog Pals. Songs, yeah, the whole thing, yeah. Oh my oh. God, the theme song of that show gets so stuck in your head. It's like uh, one of these little kid earworm songs. But it's not yeah. connected to Puppy Patrol or Paw Patrol. No, it's, it's not separate, connected to separate. Paw Patrol. The Puppy Dog Pals are their own thing. Yeah. Um, but you have done a bunch of voiceover, but you've also yeah. done like movies, TV, like you've been in a scripted podcast, theater, musicals. Like, do you have like anything left? What's on your career bucket list that you like haven't done yet? Or are there like roles, dream roles that you've always wanted to play either on the stage or the screen or? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the the roles, and there weren't really that many that I had wanted to play, I've kind of aged out of. And <laughs> so I have. And, um, and what I really would like to do, I think is, uh, do some more theater, uh, in New York or Chicago for that matter. And, and, uh, and find a kind of, um, I guess critical acceptance. Uh, and, uh, that, that has been, um, a little elusive. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I must be doing something right because I'm working a, a lot. That said, I do aspire to do something that is really moving and, um, and something that people connect with. Uh, in fact, it was my hope and still is my hope that the character that I'm currently doing on Chicago Med kind of meets those requirements to a certain degree because he's a guy that has PTSD. He's doesn't like himself. He's a type of guy that is broken of which, you know, there are many broken and fractured men. And, and so I find that interesting. So, you know, if there's a role out there that is, that people connect with, that's something that I aspire to. I can't be more specific than yeah, that. Yeah, that's you know, okay. Should, you know, I'd love <laughs> to play something in the Marvel universe, but what are they going to give me? You know, I'll be like uh, Dr. Strange's accountant. There's plenty of... <laughs> sure. <laughs> funny moment, we were talking to uh, Laura Benanti and we asked yeah. her about the role and she goes, listen, I've done it. And we were like, damn, because she did My Fair Lady. And yeah. so she's like, I've just kind of done it. We don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So See. we... We did so love good. that. Well, I was going to say, I, I love the way you talk about all this, but in my head, I want to know, have you ever been starstruck? Have you ever, oh, even though you always. know all these, oh, yeah, wow. Always, always. And in fact, it, it, I always ruin any potential relationship I have with somebody who I'm a fan of. You know, you think, yeah, I'm in the business too, and I can, I can, yeah, yeah I should be able to hang out and chat with these people. It takes great effort for me not to go, oh, you are great. And, and, and as soon as you do that, it's ruined. Yeah. <laughs> then that you know. Then I'm then I'm all the way down here, and they look at me like, oh, okay, it's one of those guys. <laughs> I mean, I once I did work uh, one day on a film with Jeff Bridges, and I really worked hard to not be starstruck, and it paid off because he was really cool, and he was everything that I wanted him to be. Uh, but I was like starstruck afterwards. Like afterwards, I probably had a chance to maybe reconnect with him, but I was too afraid. <laughs> I was too afraid. But yeah. yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. I mean, there's so amazing people. I'm more a fan than I am a, a peer. Yeah. 
Well, how about you? I mean, don't don't you ever? I mean, when you do, you meet other performers. That of course you do. Yeah, but I'm oh, I'm I humiliate myself in front of drag queens. Like, <laughs> she introduced me to a drag queen, and I went. I just like couldn't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but anytime I like have worked on a set, I always wait till I'm wrapped because I'm always just somewhere for a day, you know. Yeah, and so yeah. I wait till the end, and then I go like, it was really cool working with you or something like yeah. that. But I try to. Actually, that's not true. I'm lying to you. Yeah, I, I'm always really excited. And I grew up going to the movies every week. We loved Entertainment Tonight in my house. We watched the award shows. And so yeah. I I don't act jaded. Like, I, I'm excited by all of it. And I like seeing people, right. even if it's just on the street, or I get to meet them or with friends. Like, I always get really jazzed. I like it. There's a party that I go to every year. And I don't go to a lot of parties. I, I have a very... I've got a very small life, you know, and, and, uh, I really do. And, and, but, uh, and, uh, I'll drop a name, you know, Sarah Silverman is a friend of mine and she has this insane party and it's on the roof of a building that she lives in. And at this party is every cool person in comedy and film. And there's some politicians there and it's not a highfalutin party. It absolutely is a chill party where you know, people are eating edibles and they're having pizza <laughs> and there's, you know, and it's absolutely incredible. And it's the worst place for me to be because I'm invited, <laughs> but I, I can't, I cannot comport myself. You know, I, I cannot comport myself with any cool at all. I, it's, and, and so I'm paralyzed and I find well, myself sitting. We, next- because Sarah Silverman does that to me. I've been in small parties with her, green rooms, and I don't act normal. Like, I... I, Like, she liked one of my videos recently, and I took a screenshot of it. Like, and I try to be normal around her, but I can't. It's impossible. It's hard. And and look, we're friends. We're friends that I can call her up, or I'm friends... And I don't quite often, because (laughs) uh, alluding to what I was saying before, I, you know, I I don't... I, I feel like... It's it's wrong for me because I'm still too much of a fan. I still can't get over the fact that, huh, I'm sitting next to Sarah Silverman. It's, it's too it's too weird. It's too weird. Well, wait. I would like. I would love to ask really quickly. What do you get recognized for the most? We yeah. love to ask people that, and you've done so much. So, like, do people know you from? I'm sure it depends on the age. Like, people know you from yeah. Wings, or they know you from Thirteen Reasons, or like, what right. what are people? What do you get the most? Uh, I would say uh, it's a toss-up between Wings and then The Shining. I did a Shining miniseries oh, right. in, the, in the 90s. And uh, and then I get the occasional stray person that says, hey, you, I loved you in Party Down. Party Down was a really funny show. Yes. Uh, or 13 Reasons Why. So I, I have crossed enough demographics uh, that I get recognized for a lot of stuff. But uh, I would say still mostly Wings. Uh, oh, and Psych. I did one episode of this series, Psych. One. People love Psych. I mean, I okay, you know, I just <laughs> one. I was probably twenty minutes of screen time, and I get I get deluged. Wow. Relatively speaking, you know, it's not really deluged. Like one moment I'll be talking to you, and an hour from now I'm dumpster diving. You know, so this is. It's all. I have to be well, very philosophical about it. <laughs> No, this was awesome. This was yeah. as fun as I think we. This is it to great. Be. But Steve, thank, thank you, Steve. Th- I just called you Steve, like we're old friends. You Steve, can call me Steve. Thank you, you so Steve. much for talking to us. <laughs> yeah, this was amazing. A pleasure. That was great. He was great. 
Yeah. We're going to possibly uh, try to hang out with him in Chicago. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely told Kara. I'm like, we are telling him where he's coming to Old Town Pub with us, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> he is coming to our show. He's coming to West, you know, the pub. Well, this uh, episode comes out after yeah, that. Yeah, so we'll, so we'll tell have you. to update people. If we we'll can. have to tell you if we hung out or not. But I don't know. It was just fun. And um, that's that. What are we to yeah. learn? What are we learning? <laughs> what did we learn from today's episode? Lisa took us through the whole... I mean, I learned a lot because I didn't know a lot about Abu Ghraib specifically. I mean, I knew the general points, but Lisa took us through all of the finer points of the Abu Ghraib travesty. And... Uh, yeah, I guess it's like uh, we've always we learn over and over. We can't give people power over other people that way because they will abuse it. You know, the Milgram experiment, etc. I was a sociology major, so I know all about that. Yeah, <laughs> all about the Milgram. You know, but I was so lucky because I got to like transfer college, whatever. I didn't have to actually take statistics. <laughs> I tricked tricked my way out of it. But it's good because I was getting D. Like, I couldn't pass it. It's just like, that's not what my brain is going to do. I got like a C in statistics. It was just not for me. Like, I could not figure it out. It was like, I, but I had to take a math class to graduate. So that was my class. And my math major friend was like, just take it with me. I'll help you. And then, of course, it's like, people that are good at math can't like, that doesn't necessarily mean they're good at helping teach it to you. She was like, why don't you get this? And I'd be like, because I don't. She'd be like, oh, because for me, it's just obvious. And I'd be like, that's the problem. I probably shouldn't have taken a class with you. Um, but yeah, fucking statistics. I w- That was when I told you that I I told them I had a breakdown so I didn't have to do a test because I was like, <laughs> I'm, I, this looks like I'm looking at Greek. Like I cannot understand I'm so what I'm looking glad. At. Yeah, because you love a chart, so I'm a little bit shocked. But yeah, statistics was so hard. And in Iowa, it was like at 8 a.m. Like, there was just no way. Thank God oh. I dropped out. There was just no way I could do it. I love with all your transferring, you somehow moved around that. That's amazing. Yeah. But I, yeah, because I got out. Because I couldn't understand. I just couldn't understand it. And that's that. And like, yeah. do I blame my brain, my effort, or the teacher? I don't know. But either way, it was not penetrating through this membrane. <laughs> not not going to do it. You know what? I, what's filled with my brain? You know, just like what outfits the nanny wore that, on the TV <laughs> show. That's what my brain is filled with. Just leopard print outfits. <laughs> um, yeah, why isn't there a fucking degree in what outfits the nanny wore? Come on. Well, my favorite is when I started talking about in, in like moments from the Arthur TV show cartoon at one of our live shows and no, even people that watched it and you finally were like, no, not your psycho. Like, of course we all watched it. <laughs> not everyone remembers, you know. Yeah, you Arthur were like, episode. you never watched Arthur. I was like, yes, I did. But I don't remember it like scene for scene. <laughs> yeah. But TV free week was a big, uh, was a big episode. <laughs> You probably just remember. Oh, you know what's also good about Halloween? They play all the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors oh, on yeah. FXX all day and night. So I remember that. I always remember Bart being like, the Raven, nevermore, nevermore. Yeah. Um, the Edgar so, Allan Poe. So um, cute. We really, but honestly, the Hippocratic Oath means something. The military is not good. Um, don't, um, don't do that to people. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and I just feel sad for Haruna Boss. You know, that's yeah. that's the saddest of it all to like escape and then be fucking 
face to face with your person. It's just yeah. scary. We've had a few of those where people in SVU where they run into yes. their old tormentors. Like the very first episode of the show, isn't it? The very first episode, yeah. the pilot of SVU is like a, like people running into their captors from another land. And I didn't um, listen to this and I probably won't, but thank God my friend Julia does. Um, but I guess Rachel Maddow has a new podcast about American Nazis and like how we really protected a lot of the Nazis here throughout World War II. And that like... Whoa, really? Yeah, that they like were speech writers for a lot of the people in the government and infiltrated the government in really um, big ways. So there's a Rachel Maddow series on that. Damn, I got to go check but that, that out. But that kind of, I started kind of not loving, when, I, when we were in Alabama, there's a stadium built af- named after like a Nazi engineer. And it's like, yeah. can you just change it? Yeah, really. I don't know. Yeah. That's the Um, thing. That's what's wild about all these people who want to have these Nazis on their show. Like, in the future, I mean, or will be melted, but in the future, it's not going to be like, oh, well, he wasn't a Nazi. He just had Nazis on his radio show. Like, that's your, like, I wonder if these people realize that they are going to be remembered as Nazis or if they really just, or they don't care and they are Nazis or they don't get it. Like, I, I wonder. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. My brain is mush today. I don't know. You have COVID. I just keep talking. (laughs) I don't remember anything. We love doing this show. And we hope you enjoyed this. Yeah. Let's get into what would Sister Peg do uh, for this. Uh, that's our weekly segment where we point you guys to an article, a book, an organization, something to give you more information about what we touched on in today's episode. And this week, we wanted to point you to a book called The Ballad of Abu Ghraib by Philip Gorovich and Errol Morris. And Errol Morris is like a famous documentarian who's done like the Thin Blue Line and a lot of other things. And the book is based on Errol Morris's interviews with the Americans who took the pictures and and appeared in the pictures that were associated with the jail. And uh, he's, you know, an Academy Award winning filmmaker. So um, it's a lot of great information. And you can check out the link to that in our show notes. And as always, it is saved in our Instagram stories in a highlight called WWSPD. I just saw a thing that says, every day I wake up feeling I failed at sleep. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Um, next week, we'll be doing Unorthodox, Season 9, Episode 13. That's Peacock, Hulu. Um, we're obsessed with all of you. Come to our live shows. We'd love to meet you. And thank you so much for listening to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. Thank you, guys. We love you. Until next week. Ciao. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.